What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 42. 42. 42, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And um, uh, full confession right now, Zach, we didn't talk about this. We just got done before we hit record. You said, do you have everything? And I said, yes, I do. But um, once again, I said to myself, oh, I don't really need the show notes because Zach's going to be doing the synopsis. So I'm doing all of this by memory. So, Zach, if you put anything in those show notes that I should have been saying at this time, um. We'll see. We'll just see. So anyway, we're doing episode 42, where we're going to be talking about Stargate SG-1's episodes uh, Out of Mind and uh, what was the other episode title? <laughs> into the Fire. Into the into the Fire. See, this Out is why mind, you pull up fire. your show notes, yeah, Brent. Yeah, this is, this is why. This is why. But we're, <laughs> but we're talking we're talking Stargate, and we're talking the end of season two and the beginning of season three, Indeed. which is pretty darn exciting. And yes. uh you, fa- dear listeners, have already found us, but when it is time for you to say, all right, all right, friends, all right, friends of mine who like Stargate, look, these two these two yahoos are really getting it going now because they have finished two seasons of Stargate. They're starting into the third season. This is where it really starts to become awesome, you're going to say to them, because you know, because you're a big Stargate fan, and you say to your other friends, you got to listen to this guy, Brent, because he's going to be experiencing it for the first time. You tell them to find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts. And when they find us, and if you haven't done it already, give us five stars. Yeah, five. Only five. A five-star rating and leave us a review. That helps other people find us. You can also find us on Spotify Podcasts. Uh, and when you find us there, you can hit the little heart button and engage that way. And Zach, after they yes. have done that and they say to their friends, Find this app, find this show, or find this podcast, start listening to it, and then their friends want to let us know that they have found the height, the absolute height of podcast entertainment. Where would they do that? You can do that by going to your emails mm-hmm. and typing in walking through the stargate at gmail.com. You put that into your to section, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then in the subject, you say, Best podcast ever, or or whatever else you want. You sure, know, you, you you can you know play with that one a little bit. You have some creative uh, license, uh, and then you type in the body of the the, the email, all the great things that you want to say uh, about this podcast, about us, or, or whatever else you want to say. You know, if you sure. want to give me your grandma's favorite recipe, then you can do that too. I'll look at Actually, it. Yeah. Uh, Frankly. <laughs> and then you hit the send button and we will receive it if yes. you send it to walking through the stargate at gmail.com. That's W A L K I N G T H R U G H D H E S T R G A T E at gmail.com. Yeah, you see? It's that easy. That simple. <laughs> and if for whatever reason you're sufficiently young that you don't understand this whole email thing, <laughs> don't worry because we have Facebook. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Facebook, you just go to Facebook and you look for Walking Through the Stargate and we've got a Facebook page and you can uh-huh. just come in there and just hit that follow button and the yep. like button and then after you've done that, hit the go to the group button cuz we also have a Walking Through the Stargate Facebook group. Yes. And hit the join and then I'll get an email and that'll say somebody would like to join the Facebook group and then I will say, "Yes, mm-hmm. you're approved." We actually have had, had for the last couple of weeks, we've had about one or two people each week join the Facebook group. Hey, and nice. And that's awesome. 
Thank so you very much. Keep it up. Uh, join that group. Talk to each other. Uh, share your thoughts and opinions. Uh, David uh, posted on there the other day, and now I'm going to try to do this by memory. And by memory, I mean gab a little bit while I look it up <laughs> uh, about his theory on. Um, oh shoot! Now my brain is oh, we got turning a fan into a little pile of mush. And my internet browser is going slow. Um, a mush so, pile? <laughs> uh, uh, here he says, his Stargate, uh, he, he has a theory that uh, Stargate uh, acts like the TARDIS translation matrix, allowing all languages to be understood everywhere yeah. except for where written in the script. And the occasional <laughs> times when alien words are spoken, like Cree. Cree. So, Tok-ra, uh, Cree. Uh, you know. Or no, not Tokra. I I, I, he, I I would normally look at this and say, I just don't think that's how the Stargate should work. Mm-hmm. And yet, it does seem to be what actually happens. And mm-hmm. so, I, I, it works for me. One of my favorite things to do, if it's not already obvious, is I love to take uh, existing entertainment where it's quite obvious that Folks were just trying to write a nice story. Have a good. Folks were just trying to have a good time, and then you get nerds like me that are sitting here going, "Well, actually, that can't happen that way because of these things that occur in this way." But finding a rational way to explain irrational situations from past from the past <laughs> delights me to no end. So I am a big favor of a uh, big fan of retcon. So. Yep. So uh, I like I like the idea of the Stargate uh, holding a lot more technology than what we think it does. That's right. Also, uh, Justin posted a few days ago a meme that uh, you know everybody's been talking about storming Area Fifty One. He says, yes. "Screw Area Fifty One. Let's storm Cheyenne Mountain and get the Stargate." Yes. And uh, I'm like, "Yeah, nerds. Yes, nerds. nerds. Woo. Yes. It's delightful. This is a lot of fun." Um. Now, Zach, you missed one. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook oh. group. Well, no, I haven't missed it. I just haven't gotten there because this is for people who are a little bit, uh, you know, where, where Facebook's not their thing. Then you can go to Twitter. Yeah. And on Twitter, you can go at Stargate Walking and you can follow us there and you can share all of your thoughts and uh, whatever's on Twitter uh, for all of us to see. And now, this is when I turn to Brent and say, Brent, has you seen anything on Twitter? I have. Because... Ah. Uh, so there was a little bit of chatter. So what happens is that there are a few folks out there that when they are uh, uh, listening to podcasts, there's one in particular that it appears that the person, excuse me, is like, you know, going through the workday and he decides to tweet out which episodes he's listening to. And so he'll tag in the the creators of those podcasts. And so uh, whenever he's listening to one of our episodes, he'll, he'll, he'll bring it in. And uh, he was going through, uh, uh, he was listening to the episode one false step for the episode for one false step. Uh-huh. And uh, so he blasts this out into the universe and uh, immediately or not immediate, but very shortly thereafter, somebody replies back going, it's one of my favorite episodes, kissy face. <laughs> and and the, the, the conversation is very short, but there was a little itty bitty conversation that went back and forth about how it certainly was different said one and the other said well you know the writers had some creative license and i was glad that they took it right and it was kind of fun to watch them go on and on about that and i'm sitting here like y'all are going to be disappointed in my reaction i can tell (laughs) 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 
so but yeah so you know you can also be on uh, on twitter there and um in case it wasn't painfully obvious uh when zach and i are talking about uh, uh our you know the, the the relative um youthfulness of users of email versus facebook versus twitter uh we are indeed still terribly dating ourselves because um you know twitter was the cool thing like nine years ago and so uh we haven't yet gotten a snapchat and i don't have a tiktok and uh i don't i don't uh know anything else <laughs> yeah well you know so honestly, there's that though, snapchat it doesn't strike me as a platform that would be as useful for something like this uh, Zach, um, there's a reason why we don't get it it's not for us there you go mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just saying we're old yep yep but anyway yep. and that's fine so that's, that's right. where we are uh you know if if there is a social media platform that we just absolutely must be on, please let us know by one of these uh, <laughs> more archaic versions of social media. Stoop, um, stoop and down. <laughs> then know that you will have to teach us how to use yeah, it. That's true. Um, but uh, we're willing to learn. I think. Uh, I'm always willing to learn. I'm, I am. Yeah. Um, will I do it right? Probably not, but whatever. Uh, I don't even do Facebook right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. So, uh, shall we uh, dig into these two episodes? Yeah, this is gonna let's be, do it. This is a big one. We got two episodes to deal with. Yes. So, uh, Out of Mind, this is the season finale for season two. It was directed by Martin Wood, and the teleplay mm-hmm. was by Jonathan Glasner. Uh, for Martin Wood, this was his fifth directing credit for the season. Uh, he did In the Line of Duty, The Gamekeeper, Spirits, and A Matter of Time. And shocker, he has no more directing credits for season two. Oh, well, wouldn't you know it? Yeah. Also, um, Zach, did you intentionally go zipping right past In the Line of Duty? Uh, did I say In the Line of Duty? What? Uh, oh, yeah. Nah. Uh, <laughs> that I was setting you up for that. I'm hey, going to say right. that. We can, we can carry I just, on. Just, I, I will freely admit that when you called out that title inside my head i went <laughs> duty but i didn't want to like you know like you know that that, that that bit feels old right you know so why do it why do why do that joke again zach i mean yeah, really. you know you know sometimes brent you should just let the things that are inside your no. head stay inside your head oh good i, I was wondering if you're going to go the other direction with that <laughs> <laughs> anyway okay this was his last directing credit for season two shock right yep um also, the teleplay, this was Jonathan Glasner's last teleplay for season two. Uh-huh. Uh, he had five <laughs> writing credits for the season, The Gamekeeper, The Tokra, Parts 1 and 2, and Show and Tell mm-hmm. on this one. Um, for both of those guys, I invite you to listen to some of our previous podcasts to get more information about who they are. Mm-hmm. For Into the Fire... Uh, this is the first season of season three, director Martin Wood. So Martin Wood comes back and directs both parts of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his first of six episodes that he directs in season three. Okay. So he's we're going to see his name quite a bit in mm-hmm. season three. And the teleplay for this is by the other creator of the show, Brad Wright. Mm-hmm. This is his first of four writing credits for season three. Uh, and once again, if you want to know more about them, go listen to our previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, for these two episodes, we have quite a number of uh, guest actors. 
Um, most of them fall into uh, into the fire because the season finale, out of the mind, out of mind, does not really grant you a lot of uh, money to spend a lot on guest actors. But sure, uh, we do have for uh, out of mind. You've got uh, Tom Butler who plays Trotsky, Samantha Ferris who plays Doctor Raleigh, uh, and then Swan Braun returns as Hathor. Uh, for the next episode, we add to that Tony Amendola, who comes back as Braytac. Mm-hmm. Yay, Braytac! Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Cunningham plays Major Davis. Uh, Colonel Makepeace comes back. Steve Mackage yep. as Colonel Makepeace. Uh, and your favorite technician and mine, Gary Jones as Radar. Yay! Radar's back. And, okay, so. So, so we haven't seen Radar for quite a number of episodes. Oh, yeah. And when I hear his voice at the beginning of that episode, I'm like, Radar's back! Yep, yep. I was I was literally thinking, so before I started watching this episode, or um, before I started watching uh, Out of Mind, I was kind of realizing, I think it was in the last episode, I was noticing, you know, like the technicians were the technicians, and we've seen a few of the same faces a few times, but we hadn't seen Radar in quite a while. And I was sitting there thinking, did we see him at all in season two? And I think the answer is yes, it was towards the beginning. Um but yeah, we did see all. him in season two, but n- not much in the second half. Not much. So then, um, so then, when he finally made his appearance again, was it? And it was technically, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was season. It was the season one or episode one of season three, right? Because that was where, um, that was the first time that we got back to the SGC. Well, see, I'm getting it mixed up because I watched okay, those two episodes so, right back to back. So we we have experienced time in the SGC because you do have that in in out of mind. You do have that scene, a couple scenes where where Teal'c wakes up and then he's like, "Oh, I've oh yeah, 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 yeah." Right, that's right. Um, but uh, yeah, after the, the last time on Stargate SG One, right. um, it starts off with Colonel Makepeace running from the gate to Hammond's office, and yes. in that process, we see Radar. Um, talking about, you know, the gate opening and, and so, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. Before we started recording, I mentioned that there was a bad thing that happened. Yes. Uh, what had happened was that the episode, for, uh, so season three, episode one started to play as I was watching it. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it on um, Amazon Prime streaming, which, side note, I finally got my Stargate command thing to work again. I had to contact tech support, la, 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 whatever. Done. I can do it well, back. Congratulations. Away. Thank We're you. happy. Um, so the episode started to play, and I had shifted my attention, but then noticed that there was a lot of action that just happened, right? Gate opens, right. and all of a sudden, this dude's like plowing through things, uh, and it was make peace. And uh, and so I said, oh, wait a minute, I missed something. You know, I didn't miss much, but I but I, I wasn't paying close attention, so I decided to, to, to fast track it back to the beginning. Um, so when you pause... When you pause it in Prime, it shows you all the actors and it shows oh, the that's character right, it names. Does. And so, for a hot second, my eyes fell onto the first name of Radar. So that that spoiled. But, but I was aware of my error and immediately looked away. So I am still oblivious as to as to his full name. So, so and you know and you know even though I know. Uh, the real name of so many of these different characters, I still insist on calling people like Ricardo Montalban and uh, Stargate Scotty. You know, like I- I'm still going to be calling him Radar for the rest of the series <laughs> for sure. But 
that one thing. I was just like, no, no. prime. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's see. Anyway, here. So, Do we, I don't think we actually find out his name until, we don't technically learn his first name until near the end of season four. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, He's just sergeant and, for that. And I time. don't remember. I don't remember when we when it settles on his his last name. Yeah, but we don't we don't actually get his first name. Although, um, um, I was listening to uh, Chevron's Locked podcast, and they were talking about this. And apparently, there were a couple of different iterations of his name and that when they were listening to Gary Jones talk at the the con the other uh last month mm-hmm. uh he was talking about how his name actually changed a couple of times throughout the the show um so anyway so so maybe maybe there's maybe maybe there's clone technology going on and there actually were a few different radars so you it's know, it's safe. entirely possible yeah yeah you know we've know already established that there are multiple realities that's also true and so, if there's one that it was sufficiently close that the SG-1 team was completely oblivious that they returned to the wrong reality, they wouldn't be the wiser. Yeah. 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 This would just be the new normal. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. So, uh, Out of Mind originally aired on March 12, 1999, which is mm-hmm. two days after my negative second, no, negative, yeah, negative second anniversary. Hey, happy negative anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's time. We're we're already starting to play with time in this series, so, you know, might as well. There you go. Uh, Number one in the charts for March 12, 1999 was, uh, if you can believe it, it was Cher. Oh, finally. Good night. It's it's not Monica. Uh, It is Cher with Believe. In the UK, they were listening to Boyzone as Boyzone was singing, (sighs) When the Going Gets Tough. Yeah, and I don't I'm gonna, know. How I'm going to have to look all. that up. But now who I know? Now that I know who Boyzone is, I'm not looking forward to this. <laughs> so Boyzone has actually made the number one chart before. Yeah, if I recall correctly. Yeah. But oh yeah. I, I have have blocked all of that out of my mind. Good. So I still don't know who Boyzone is. That's a, that's to your benefit. I'm guessing reason- it's 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 a, uh, a boy band, yeah, uh, and, you uh, know, on I mean, the lines of Backstreet Boys and yes. uh, what in 98 sync. degrees, 98 degrees. Or- yep, yep, you got it. Uh-huh. Um, I think that I think that technically, like 98 degrees, were a little bit older. Boyzone definitely is trying to go at that like late teens, early twenties angle, yeah. and yeah, and as I'm sitting here in my late thirties. And then, you know, having been a late teen, early 20s and that exact era, I'm just sitting here just like cringing, <laughs> cringing so <Yeah>. hard. <laughs> so um, for March 12 in the box office, we have uh, number one, analyze this. Number mm-hmm. two, the rage, carry two. Number three, cruel oh. intentions. Number four, the corruptor. And number five, baby geniuses. Uh huh. Okay, great. So slow, those slow are all of, names that I really don't know anything about. Slow time of, se- of the season. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Into the Fire season uh, one, uh, season three episode one aired June twenty five nineteen ninety nine. So mm-hmm. just a couple of months, about three months later. Yep. Uh, number one in the charts in the U.S. was If You Had My Love by Jennifer Lopez, and if in the U.K. 
Beautiful. Thanks. I practiced. Yeah, I, I can tell. I can tell. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, in the UK was Boom, 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 Boom by Venga Boys. Or Venga oh, Boys. Venga Boys. Uh, that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. I want you in my room. The box office, these are going to be names that you will recognize, at least a good number of them. Number one, Big Daddy. Number two, Tarzan. Number three, Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. Yeah. Number four, The General's Daughter. And coming in at number five this week was Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so, so, you know, as you kind of think about this, uh, this is uh, when that Austin Powers thing was happening, and yep. the Star Wars was finally coming back, and yep. everybody was getting really excited and also disappointed at the same time. And then you do that thing where it's like, so the first, so the uh, um um. Return of the Jedi was what eighty three, was it eighty three or eighty four? Yes, eighty three. Um, eighty, yeah, eighty three. I think. Yeah, and so then it was uh, sixteen years later was Episode One, but then like now we are twenty years away from that, from Episode One, right? So it's like it's that it's that thing where it's like, oh my gosh, there's been oh, a lot more time oh, that has geez, passed. Brent, 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 why did you do that to my brain? Wait, did you not? I nope. had not. It, Okay. Oh, so, Zach, I'm so I, I sorry. I hadn't done the math. I hadn't figured that out. <laughs> and now, oh, uh-huh. there yeah. is more time between us and Phantom Menace than there was between Phantom Menace and Return of the Jedi. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh. Yes. In Brent. fact, wasn't um, so the original Star Wars was 77, right? So we're getting That's true. darn close between more time between us and Phantom Menace than Phantom Menace and the original Star Wars. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh man, we're getting old, dude. We're getting old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, hoofta, hoofta. Okay. Yep. So, uh, with that, with that shock still in my system, yeah. Uh, what yeah. has been going on about this time? Yeah. Um, for the first episode uh, on March seven, a couple of days earlier, Stanley Kubrick dies at age 70. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick did 2001 A Space Odyssey, Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. Eyes Wide Shut, and mm-hmm. dozens and dozens of others. Yeah, I did a lot. Um, on March 8, Joe DiMaggio uh, died of lung cancer at age 84. Mm-hmm. Uh, also on March 8, the Supreme Court of the United States upholds the murder convictions of Timothy McVeigh for the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that means that he was actually going to end up getting uh, executed for that. Yes, Is that right? You are correct. Uh, on March 11, uh, one day before this episode airs, uh, Infosys becomes the first Indian company listed on the NASDAQ stock exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, on March 12, former Warsaw Pact members uh, of members. Former Warsaw Pact members, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland, all join NATO. Mm-hmm. So there is a big shift at this point in time. Yeah, that was, in, that was kind of a big deal. Uh, strength. 
Also on March 12, Yehudi Menuhin. He's an American-slash-British violinist, conductor, and teacher. He dies at 82. I threw that in there because I remember learning about him when I was studying music in college, which actually would have been right about this time. Yeah. He is connected in some way to Romania, and now I can't remember how, and that's a big deal because my... Uh, one of my music professors was a scholar of Romanian music. Mm-hmm. So that's more about me than anybody else, but take it. Hey, a few days after this episode, actually a week after this episode, uh, Legoland California opens, ah. and it's the first Legoland outside of Europe. Okay. And nice. then a couple of days after that, on March 24th, here again, we're pushing generally where I'd like to go with these, but since we have a long period of time between this episode and the next episode, it works. On March 24th, The Matrix, written and directed by the Wachowskis, starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, and Carrie Ann Moss, opens. Nice. Uh, so that's all that was going on around uh, the end of Season 2, and the beginning mm-hmm. of Season 3 on June 19th. At about 4.30 p.m., Stephen King is hit by a car on the shoulder of Route 5 in Lovell, Maine. He would suffer numerous injuries, including a collapsed lung, multiple fractures of his right leg, scalp laceration, and a broken hip. Yeah. Um, But he survives and keeps ticking. Good. On June 22nd. Okay, this is going to be challenging for me because there's a lot of foreign names. Okay, here we go. Former... Pumalanga Premier. Okay. Pumalanga Premier. Uh, so that's a country in or or city in South Africa or something like that. Okay. Uh, so this guy's this is the guy's name. Da Daweni Malangu. Okay. That's what I'm going to go with. Okay. Uh, he causes a storm within political circles with his now infamous statement. It is acceptable for politicians to lie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, there you go. I'm uh-huh. just going to set that right there without any more comment. Uh-huh. On yeah. June 25th, the 53rd NBA championship occurs, and the San Antonio Spurs beat the New York Knicks four games to one. Yay. Also on the 25th, in his first State of the Nation address, South African President Thabo Mbeki promises to tackle rampaging crime. At this point in time, the nation's murder rate is the third highest in the world, Mm -hmm. and there are more than 49,000 cases of rape reported in 1998. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. That's a lot. Uh, June twenty fifth, sudden death action star Jean Claude Van Damme yeah. weds Gladys Portuguese Portuguese somebody in somebody. Belgium. All right, uh, and then finally we go back a little bit to June eighth, and you'll know why I jump back to June eighth when you hear what happens on June twenty fifth. But on June eighth, media tycoon Rupert Murdoch who was 68, divorces journalist Anna Torv, 55, after 31 years of marriage. He does this on June 8th, so that about two and a half weeks later, on June 25th, Rupert can wed businesswoman Wendy Deng, who is uh, 25 years younger than his former wife, Uh uh, on the yacht Morning Glory 
in the New York Harbor. So Rupert is uh, trading in for a younger model, which is a little bit gross. Uh, Uh Uh-huh. Maybe even... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah. So. Yuck. um, Trivia for these episodes. Wow, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a long one. But there's a lot of stuff going on here. Out of mind, the device that Dr. Rada uses to calibrate the memory stimulation device is, in reality, an electric nose hair trimmer. <laughs> nice. So, there you go. Um, Clean that up a little bit there the, for you. This episode was inspired by the 1964 film 36 Hours, and the uh, IMDb uh, description for 36 Hours, Germans kidnap an American major and try to convince him that World War II is over, so that they can get details about the Allied invasion of Europe out of him. Yeah. So, there you go. There you go. Uh, this episode marks the first appearance slash usage of a CGI Guauld symbiote. Yes. And uh, while it actually looks pretty good, especially for the time, it yeah. looks very CGI. Yeah. And it's- very, very fake. There was, a, there was that one shot in particular where Hathor is looking straight on at the camera. And I think even her arm was CG'd in that scene. Oh, that like, could Because just because it kind of, it, it just sort of, like, the arm is holding the symbiote and it, it enters the frame, but then it sort of lowers, but her body didn't kind of move in a corresponding, like, lowering way. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter, but it was something of like, oh, I think they CG'd her hand even in that moment. Yep. Uh, so, some of the other, ti- the title of this episode in other languages in French Après un long sommeil, uh, my wife is going to, you know, pat <laughs> me on the head for butchering the French, but I can't do French. I have never been able to do French. Uh, that means after a long sleep. After a In long sleep. German, it's die Höhle des Löwen, Teil 1. It's the Lion's Den, Part 1. Yeah. And incidentally, in German, it's also the Lion's Den, Part Two. Do you have the French one for the second episode? The French for the second episode is uh, in the Guawold's layer. I'm so not wh- going to try to. No, yeah, no, do no, the no. French. What was the? But so one thing I didn't quite appreciate until we were doing the intro just now was that it was out of mind into the fire. So like it, it was almost a phrase. Did did they do that with the French and the you know the German was obvious. Lines den one, lines den two. After a long sleep in the Gould's lair. I don't nah, think that really. that matters. Nah, I mean, it, it works, but it's not. It's yeah. not. Um, <laughs> I haven't actually looked at these. The In uh, Spanish, it's from the bottom of the mind. Okay. From uh, the so not out of the mind, but just from the bottom of it. From the, from the bottom. Czech, it's question of memories. Hungarian, it's awakenings. In Italy, uh, it was trapped. Trapped. Trapped! Um, <laughs> the languages for for uh, into the fire. Um, in Italian, it was into the fire. Yeah. Spanish under the fire. Czech yeah. under fire. Yeah. Hungarian through fire and water. Yeah. Okay. Through fire and water. Uh, oh, yeah, and then yeah. the Lion's Den Part Two. Um, you know, it's a good thing they didn't call that the Lion's Den Part One or Two in. Uh, in U.S., because there are certain stores in this country, shall we say, that are called the Lions. 
that would uh, change things a little bit. <laughs> and parts one and uh, two, dude, Zach. Dude, international <laughs> listeners, or even American listeners, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just trust me. Don't Google it. No, no, no. You got to Google don't it now. Don't Google you totally it. totally have to Google it. Google it. Just do it in an, in, okay. in an incognito okay. just browser. Just make sure that uh, you're not using your company's computer when you Google it. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Nor the company card if you buy something. Oh, uh, well, that's between you and your company. Nah. <laughs> All right. So, into the fire, O'Neill's humorous words to Trotsky... As he is uh, heading, you know, they think he's a ghoul. She's gone. She is no more. She's an ex-goddess. She's, well, let's face it. She's a former queen. Yeah. Is reminiscent to this. It's passed on. This parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to see its maker. This is a late parrot. It's it not. Tastes of, the rest of life. It rests in peace. <laughs> if you hadn't nailed it to the perch, it would be pushing up the daisies. <laughs> so, for those of you who aren't familiar, that is from Monty Python's sketch, The Dead Parrot. He's deceased. Uh, you might have to uh, give me that audio so I can line uh, it up I'll, a I'll, bit. I'll send that to you so that sure. you can uh, put that in there. Um uh, and uh, with that, that's what I have for trivia. We do have a couple of goofs. Um, uh, let's see here. So, all right, I'll just do this one. For out of mind, O'Neill knocks out Carter's guard, who is about O'Neill's size, and then tells Carter to wear the guard's clothes. Right. But in the next scene, she is wearing a suit that uh, fits her much smaller body quite well. Oh, yeah. It was perfectly tailored. Flared uh, even like, over the hips. It was it was yep. remarkable. Um, it's like, wow. Uh, and then I looked for this and I didn't see it, but when in Into the Fire, when uh, Hathor blasts Dr. Raleigh, the Tolkra woman, with her hand device, mm-hmm. uh, you can apparently see the retraction line pulling her backwards, oh. and you can apparently see her safety har- harness. I looked for it uh, it's very, very quick. I missed it. One thing I did notice was, is that uh, as they were going through the clips, um, the stunt double for Hathor, when she gets uh, shot by Samantha Carter in the hot tub, uh, it is very evidently not the actress who plays Hathor. It's it's <laughs> it's almost brutally not. The, it's, it's a little like, whoa, that is a different person entirely. But, um, you know, I mean, that's not really a goof. I, I wouldn't call that a goof so much, but no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you you note that, but that's it. Yep. Uh, okay, so now Brent, we are thirty five minutes into our podcast. Yes, and we are ready for the synopses of let's, these episodes. Let's do it. All right. So this is from the Stargate Command Wiki uh, episode synopsis, and I have not had time to look at this, so we will be editing this we're, on the fly. We're gonna do it live. We're doing it live. On live. Okay. Colonel Jack O'Neill awakens from cryogenic stasis pod from a cryogenic stasis pod Mm -hmm. and is informed that his team and everyone he knows is dead. He is told that they are in Stargate command and 79 years have passed 
Now there are 28 SG teams and another 10 occupy off-world colonies. Earth is still fighting the Gua'uld and is losing. To find out what race could have put him in cryogenic suspension, they connect him to an interface to remember key events from his past using a Tok'ra memory recall device. These memories are displayed to them, and they are represented uh, to us as snippets of previous episodes. It wasn't the Nox, nor the Asgard. Suddenly, O'Neill slips into a coma. Meanwhile, in another room, the SGC is bringing up another stasis pod, which Dr. Jackson wakes from, and then another one with Carter. They are each informed that they are the sole survivor of SG-1. Meanwhile, Teal'c awakens in the real SGC and is informed that he was left for dead by the Stargate. Okay, he was left for dead, not by the Stargate, but he was by the Stargate. The, mm-hmm. the, yeah. The Stargate doesn't leave him for dead. <laughs> no. The Stargate does not. Well, maybe there's technology in it that we're not aware of. <laughs> well, I suppose. Uh, in any case, SG-3 and SG-7 uh, found him, and he has been unconscious for three weeks. Uh, Teal declares his intentions of going to find his friends, but Hammond finds this pointless since they've been searching already all over that pl- planet and has found no trace of SG-1. Uh, Teal says, well, if you're not going to search for him, then I will, so I'm leaving uh, the SGC, and he goes to Chulak. And he sheds Carter a taps into her tier. memories. What was that? Perfectly timed tear. Absolutely. Carter taps into her memories of when they destroyed Apophysis to Hatak vessels. Jackson recounts his memories of the system lords they faced, Apophis, Herorur, and, of course, Hathor. Um, uh, my wife made a comment as we were watching this the other day that they spent an awful lot of time talking about Hathor for how relatively insignificant she is yes. at this point in time. Um, but, shocker, we're going to meet Hathor later. O'Neill wakes up to hear his, quote, rescuers talking in Gua'uld. He knocks out the man looking after him and takes his clothes. O'Neill discovers he is actually in a mock-up of the SGC inside a Gua'uld compound. He hides from the serpent and Horus guards. He finds similar mock-ups and rescues the other members of his team. They want to know who would make a mock-up of the SGC and who would know so much of its design. Suddenly, Hathor appears, and they are surrounded by Jaffa and Minor Goa'uld. Hathor wants the information from SG-1 of how to contact the Asgard and the Iris Codes. When they would not speak, she announces her intent to implant one of them with a Goa'uld symbiote. The end. The end. That was the first episode. Actually, as the synopsis goes, that's not too bad. No, it wasn't too bad, but it was also a clip show. It was also a clip show. We'll get to that. Into the fire, Colonel Robert Makepeace returns to inform Major General George S. Hammond that the Tok'ra have found SG-1 and they, they've been kidnapped by Hathor. Hammond sends SG teams 3, 5, 6, and 11 to join to find them. In the mock-up Stargate Command, Hathor ponders which member of SG-1 should be a new host. The mature symbiote chooses Colonel Jack O'Neill, but before she could implant the symbiote, Jack attacks and is shot with a Zetnikatel by Dr. Raleigh. 
That's not quite right. Basically, before anything can happen, Dr. Raleigh uh, zaps them to try to delay the whole process because Mm -hmm. we find out later that she's a Tok'ra. Anyway, in the stasis chamber, Hathor implants the symbiote and tells O'Neill that once it takes control, he'll swear, swear loyalty to her. Suddenly, gunfire is heard, and Hathor commands the Jaffa head to find the source. Raleigh reveals herself as a Tok'ra and puts Jack in stasis to kill the symbiote. Hathor finds out and uses her Karakesh to throw the Tok'ra against the wall. Makepeace and his men free Captain Samantha Carter and Dr. Jackson, but soon get a message from the men at the Stargate. They've been ambushed. Carter, unaware that a Tok'ra spy has helped Jack, informs Makepeace that O'Neill is now a host. Makepeace declares Jack a casualty and they head to the gate. When they get there, the gate is guarded by Jaffa, a force field, and staff cannon towers, which are actually pretty cool. Yes. A cannon blast from one of the lower towers, from the towers, punches a hole in the ground as Makepeace dives for cover. Noticing a strange blue glow emanating from the hole, he looks inside to find a network of Tok'ra tunnels, created by the spy as a means of entering and exiting the compound. Unseen. They are forced to retreat to the Toker Tunnels, where they attempt to find a way under the shield, but discover it extends underground, and they cannot pass. Meanwhile, Hammond contacts them from an, for an update, because they are now behind schedule, and he lets the team know that he will send reinforcements. He scans the area with the mouth, Trotsky fires it with his Zat gun and disables it. Uh, because of the sheer size of the force field, Carter deduces there must be a massive generator nearby. She takes with her a device to detect energy readings and heads back to the fake SGC to shut down the power to the shield. On Chulak, Teal'c finds Braytek left for dead. After helping Braytek, he summons nearby Jaffa together to speak with him. He announces to the Jaffa that the Gould are false gods and asks for help in fighting alongside the Tauri. Only a few Jaffa and Braytek remain to join the fight, but it is revealed that Hammond has also tagged along because the President of the United States refused to risk any more lives to save SG-1. That skips a lot. It does, but that's okay. All right. That's right. He went to Chulak. Uh, Hammond went to Chulak to find Teal'c to ask for reinforcements and to help out uh, his re- uh, rescue attempt for SG-1. Braytac leads them to a now derelict needle threader hidden nearby many years ago. By many, we mean like 100 years ago. Yes. Make peace, Daniel, and everyone else still hiding in the Toka Tunnels are captured by the Jaffa. In the Gould uh, compound, Carter founds, finds Raleigh and revives O'Neill, but is attacked by Hathor. O'Neill manages to throw Hathor into the stasis chamber unprotected, which kills her. Raleigh Presumably. tells them where the power generator for the shield is. They arrive in the fake gate room, and Jack flips a switch, revealing the generator. At the gate, O'Neill confronts the Jaffa, first pretending to be a Gould, then telling them that Hathor is dead. They refuse to believe him. Sam blows the generator at the last minute. Suddenly, the gate activates, and a needle threader flown by Teal'c and Hammond uh, come through it. Braytek and Rebel Jaffa come through a little bit later. Trofsky is finally killed by Braytek, and the two staff cannon emplacements are destroyed by Hammond and Teal'c. Once all of Hathor's Jaffa are taken care of, SG-1 returns home. The end. The end. So, Brent, Mm -hmm. 
out of mind mm-hmm. and into the fire. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Well, after having seen both episodes and having brewed on it for a little bit, I realized something which is going to be, um, I don't know. I'm not sure how people will receive this. I think I watched it wrong. I think even though it makes sense to watch these two together, I think there might have been a little bit more enjoyment or tension if I had given myself some space in between uh, out of mind and into the fire because there was a fair amount of like quasi cliffhanger action that happened at the end of out of mind. That, of course, we're going to get resolved because there's a big old to be continued on the bottom of the screen there. But, you know, what was it going to be and how was it going to happen? And what I didn't really give myself time to think about it because I immediately launched into the second part of it and then, you know, let the story carry on. So I think I gave I think I um, I think I stole from myself a little bit of joy of just kind of sitting there brewing on that first episode there for a little bit. Mm. But but um. As far as clip shows go, this one wasn't so bad. Um, there was a lot of content inside this clip show. And I think that the last clip show was the one with the senator, uh, if I remember yep. right. And so yep. that one even had some content in it. Not a lot. And I think at that time I was pretty harsh about it because I was like, I'm confident that there's going to be no that, that there's going to be ample evidence for that information to be given to us in other ways. This one kind of not so much like the content inside this one was kind of important. Um, yeah. There is this active effort by the Gould to extract information from the SG-1 team to even go so far, well, any SG team maybe, um, to even go so far as to replicate the SGC with great fidelity, but also in a futuristic way to spin up this story that they are 79 years in their future or whatever. Um that I mean, that was amusing. That was kind of fun. Um, pat myself on the back. I was kind of picking up that uh, that they might not actually be in the future pretty early on, and I can't remember exactly how I picked it up. I, it wasn't obvious. <clears throat> I was thinking to myself, huh, how are they going to get back in time? Because obviously that's probably where the – well, I don't know. Maybe not obviously. Whatever. I don't care. Um uh, 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 but about halfway through that first episode, maybe even sooner, I was uh, definitely before the reveal of Daniel Jackson also being in a Cairo chamber, a cryo chamber. Um, uh, I was kind of picking up some, and I don't know if it was intentional clues or what, but whatever. I, I, when that happened, I was like, uh, yep, here we are. Here's here here's the other here are the other team members, and they're all being told the same thing. Um, to what end? Uh, I also started to vaguely suspect, but I didn't quite put it together that it was the Gould until I think right around the reveal time. So that was kind of cool. Um, but then it was Hathor who was doing it. And I was like, okay, I guess. I mean, technically, because she's the mother of all the Gould, but I mean, is she a system lord in her own right? Like, I don't know. Is she? I guess. Is she? Yeah. I guess. Well, I think that uh, in her day, Hathor probably was a system lord. Yeah, okay. But keep in mind that, that she was stuck in stasis for right. 
several thousand years right. on Earth. Um, so she's probably trying to get back to that place, but you know, well, not anymore. Is, <laughs> no, not anymore. Ha! Um, yeah. So I was doing some some uh, testing. I, I was just trying to see how much of the episode is actually clips. Sure. And uh, you know, I, I wasn't being terribly precise, but I was trying to be close when when you know with my my stopwatch on my phone. And mm-hmm. about twelve minutes worth of the episode is clips. That's not a lot. That means no, like about so a half an hour of still, it was real. Yeah. Yeah, thirty minutes of content. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I thought was really cool about how the clips were integrated is that they would do the clips, and then, uh, and this is actually something that I uh, had kind of forgotten about until I watched it this time because I was actually watching it closely. Yeah, is that they will cut to a shot of of O'Neill or Jackson or Carter or whomever is doing the memory for a moment. Um, and then they'll go back to the clip. And they do that occasionally throughout the whole thing, which really ties it together that these clips aren't just, you know, there for whatever, but, right. but they're, they're active memories of sure. it, which, which for me made it uh, better. I mean, it's still kind of boring, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but, but it made it better that, that, that uh, they were cutting it in such a way that these clips felt more uh, like they were actual memories of the characters. Yes. Yeah. I I thought I I was being hypercritical when I was watching it and I was trying to sort of do that silly thing where you catch, you know, you catch a television show, you know, like every time that the, that um, O'Neill's memory showed an image of, himself from a third person point of view i was like <laughs> his memory wouldn't have showed it like that <laughs> but um you know but like setting that thing down because <laughs> that's annoying um setting that down for a minute uh like you know yeah you're right like these these were pretty thoughtfully chosen moments and you know it it wove itself into the story uh, that they were trying to tell it was not bad it's not mm-hmm. bad at all. I was giving you a lot of grief last time because, you know, I picked up that there, we were about to go into a clip show. And and you know what? The promo for the thing was actually really good because I, uh, like I said, I started to pick up clues that this was going to be not what it appeared to be. And I started to pick up clues kind of early. But um, when we watched the promo last week, I thought for sure that this was going to be a story, a weird one, and a clip show story where the only actor uh, who shot new scenes was going to be Richard Dean Anderson and some guest Mm. actors, right? Like uh, that. I thought that every other shot of every other star was going to be a clip. And of course the answer to that is no, Uh, you know, the, the, there are a lot of guest actors, but the core group was right there. And um, is the actor who's playing Janet Frazier, is she turning into a core group member? Because she was right there standing behind General Hammond there when Teal woke up. Um, she... Because I know she's still she technically She never becomes actor. a starring character. Yeah, just a but she, perennial. She is one of those um, guest actors who plays a significant role in the life of the story and the life of the SGC. Gotcha. So... Um, but yeah. yeah, 
so that first episode, I mean, they did an all right job. It was okay. And then it 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 definitely set up the plot point for the second episode. Um yeah. I I'm happy to do some little nitpicky stuff with the second episode. Uh there were a few like plot assumptions that had to happen just for the sake of moving the story along. Um I thought it would be slightly tra- tragically hilarious if um that big shield that was protecting the stargate didn't allow anything through it in either direction and if the shield hadn't dropped once the needle threader got through it would have smashed straight into the shield and that would have been that um <laughs> there yeah, went there went break jack and hammond and, and teal yeah i mean it would have been a disaster of course but like but for for sake of plot etc cetera, etc cetera, of course it doesn't happen that way but um uh, and there were a couple of gaps there, like, um, you know, O'Neill re- kind of half realizing that they think he's a ghoul. And so he walks down and tries to basically spin it for a, maybe a half a second. And then it falls apart. But yet somehow, like, pe- like the bad guys never are like, I've had enough of this guy and like shoot him. They just kind of sit yeah. there and let him keep talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, but, hey, you're right. That's 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 the nature of storytelling the you know the bad guy never actually takes action in a timely manner um right and there were you know like the 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 disposal of hathor was a little too i mean it was fine it was fine uh it felt a little too convenient i don't know why Mm -hmm. maybe i'm not sure but whatever you know now that that's done i think i think you know i was actually thinking about that this time it's like the only good thing about the disposal of hathor in that moment is that hathor is now no more right um but it was very anticlimactic yes uh i'm going to kill you carter oh no you're not here take an ice bath right oh okay the end she's gone now yep bye yes yeah I mean, and you know what? Let's stick a pin in that one because, right, they they did, they intentionally did that CG shot of her walking away from the fiery bathtub um, whenever, oh, and Hathor in, in, in right. her namesake episode. Um, and so, like, quite obviously, they were, they were setting up the teaser to be like, hey, hey, you think she's gone, but don't, but she'll be back. And here she is. She's back. And she's bad but kind of clumsy and definitely monologues too much and ends up getting tossed over a rail into an ice bath and presumably we will never see her ever again um well uh, here's what i think happened mm -hmm. i think that in season one they had hathor right and they were trying to you know one of the things that they were trying to do in season one uh, is uh, in season two is kind of develop some other Gua Wuld besides simply Apophis yeah. that could play uh, uh, a bad guy. So you know you you add uh, uh, Hathor and Harrower as other system lords. They Ooh. introduced the Ooh. idea of system lords, right? Uh, but I think they realized after the episode Hathor that this character just doesn't work. Um. I mean, that was a terrible episode, Hathor was. It, well, it, no, it really was. Um, and I'm with you. I think I would have made a different choice. I think I might, you know, I might have written her out of the story in some other way uh, and not in a way necessarily that I have to show her on screen even. like. Well, perhaps you're right. But I think what was happening here is, is you know, one of, they were trying to write her out of the script. 
Yeah. Uh, well, they know, did. And they did. Um, and you are right. I'll spoil this for you. We never see Hathor again unless yeah. we see clips of something. And I can't right. remember that for sure. sure. But this um, is it. This is, this is the this last is time it. we see her. Hathor is, in fact, <laughs> dead. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Uh, I, didn't, didn't, I didn't think about this until just now, but it is kind of ironic that uh, she nearly burns to death and doesn't and survives that. And then this time she freezes and it's the freezing that kills her. Right. Uh, uh, that's kind of an interesting little callback. There. It, it was. Yeah. That. Yeah. I, and and I I kind of picked that up when it was happening. But, you know, again, I was sitting there like, oh, OK, well, she's gone. And on to the next part, because, you know, and even like. So maybe this is where I'm, you know, where I'm at with this thing is like, um, it, the clip show part was not as bad as it could have been. That's for dang sure. Um, the opening of season three was fine. There were a lot of moving parts. They had, uh, at least three stories going at once, I think. And, uh, the Hathor story was coming to an end at the same time as the, um, Teal coming in with a cavalry story and the uh, uh, SG-1 getting off of this world story. And so Hathor getting tossed over the rail was at the exact right time as everything else that had to happen. So, you know, from a story point of view, it wasn't inconsistent and it was at the right time and it was in a resolution that was able to work. And uh, even the 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 severely injured uh, Tokra on the wall, conveniently giving plot information at the right time was even though it was like a little like, oh, come on, like that, whatever, like I'll let it roll. But, um, you know, it all it all like it all made sense and it flowed, but it had this kind of like weak quality to it. Um, it, it, it was flowing, but it wasn't particularly like knock your socks off. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that even when, um, even when the entire, um, SGs, you know, five, six, 11, 12, 18, 28 and 30 or however, whoever went through the gate to try and rescue him at the beginning, <laughs> when they were all, sta- you know, sitting there on their knees, hands behind their head, like, you know, like prisoners trying to t- get, get out the last of them. Um, you know, everything's looking bad at that moment. But, uh, you know, the, the, the timing of it was still actually, you know what? I might be getting my timing mixed up or no, no, no. They were going to blow it up. That's right. So they were on the hillside looking through their binoculars. Got it. They had the Z4 already planted. I understand now. Um, but yeah, then there was some, some other kind of weird things like the Tokra tunnels. Uh, there was a Tokra agent there, but like she needed an entire tunnel network question mark. And also like. I thought half of their deal was that they were really, really good at destroying the evidence that they were there. So it just felt a little incongruous that here's this agent who is really knocked out of commission badly. Yeah. Um, and there isn't some kind of fallback method to immediately start destroying those tunnels. Like that felt a little weird. It still kind of made sense. Maybe she was the only one there. Maybe she was the one who could initiate that destruction of the tunnels and she couldn't. Therefore there it was. But on the other hand, it just felt a little too like half of my impression of the of everything about the Tokoro was that even their tunnel network was such a such a secretive thing that that they just sort of like protected it against all cost. It was very it was very, very, you know, that that impression was very heavily laden on me. It was a major mm-hmm. plot point of those episodes when they were the Tokoro part one and two. Um, so that one felt a little off, but it was OK. The size of that generator, like 
Again, for plot purposes, it had to be there because the shield was humongous. But why did they... Maybe that was their line of defense. Maybe that's why the perimeter was so lightly guarded is that they had this giant shield. But even then, it still kind of felt a little funky. Like, like really? Like, why wouldn't you just have well, soldiers? Also, why, why is the shield generator... Why is the shield surrounding the Stargate? Yeah. Um, right. I mean, I suppose, I guess if you surround the Stargate, you trap anybody who's coming in there in the Stargate. But if that's the case, then just make it a really small shield around the actual Stargate itself. So basically nobody can get through, kind of like the Iris. Right. Yeah. Um, And so it was it was overly done and it created a nice little explosion moment and a nice visual to have the panel behind the Stargate slide behind there and see this gigantic generator like, you know, it was all right. But it, there were, yeah, I think this is kind of it. There definitely seems that there were a number of moments that it, I'm not saying that they intended for those moments to really wow me, but they kind of halfway set these moments up as if they were going to try to make an attempt at really wowing me. Here we have the return of Hathor. We have this entire complex, which is enormously ornate and sophisticated in an effort to extract the most compromising of information from our heroes in ways that render them completely powerless and jeopardize the entirety of the Stargate mission and of Earth. Like, the whole thing is setting it up to be pretty big. Uh, We've got the complete destruction of the Stargate team in in the previous episode, so much so that Teal decides to basically resign his his appointers position and you know go off to try and find his own way and has goes back to chulak and has to you know so the return to chulak could be a moment of extreme tension and it turns out to be kind of this moment where he's just like you know barking an inspirational speech that was vaguely inspirational um and then the and then the 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 climax of the whole thing is this is the bringing together of these three stories uh in a way that is supposed to create this moment of tension and of are they going to do it and then the celebration when they do and the whole thing just and make pieces like you know like uh um reminding a bit but like um Hammond's decision to send uh you know any uh volunteer to rescue star uh, you know SG1 so he gives that little speech on the ramp and all the people step forward without even hesitating and that's a pretty nice little moment but it wasn't a big nice moment it was just a pretty nice moment and make peace he's turned out to be all right right like he was definitely a jerk face but he's definitely proving himself to be kind of a one of the, you know like an honorable jerk face and so that's okay <laughs> um and so he charges through and you know and An he's doing all the right things yeah i mean he's making the right decisions but even still he's making a decision to leave someone behind which makes sense but on the other hand is a little doesn't and you know like the, it, well based on the intel there if totally. if o'neill has in fact become a guo world which is the in the the message that carter gives if he's a Gould, he's lost, and there's not much they can do about it. The but best the situation they could do is to try to go in there and take him out so that he can't reveal any more secrets. But problem, even that is pretty challenging with the situation, with the, the task force, with the, the, the people they have. But the problem isn't with the particulars. You're right. In the particular, he made the right decision. The problem is in the totality, where, the, where all of these pieces are conspiring to create this epic moment. Mm-hmm. And when the payoff happens, as the payoffs are coming down the line, they're not all that epic. And it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it, it's not bad. This episode isn't bad. It just, and it wasn't even really disappointing. Um, it was just, 
it was popcorn and popcorn's not the worst um if i had all the money in the world and the talent to do it uh i could envision uh, a rewrite and a reshoot of these two episodes in a way that would probably make a person feel a heck of a lot more excited like sure. jump off the couch excited and we we just didn't have that right that's well, my hot take what about you there's your hot take so uh, there are a couple of things that I, I really liked about these two episodes. I thought that the cold open for the for Out of Mind is actually really good. I mean, you have you know this this cryopod come up and yep. O'Neill is sit there. It's like ah, 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 and hey, you know what? Everybody's dead. It's seventy five years later. Boom! That's it. Holy yeah, smokes! That was good. That, that's actually. I mean, it, it just jumps you right out into there. That. Uh, really is awesome. Um, I think that the the story of that ep- first episode is a little over the top, but at least plausible. If you take the clips out of it, you know, uh, a, a Gua world going to all of this trouble. Uh, that's an awful lot of trouble for this. Yeah, uh, right. To build not just one, but at least three, or at least a portion of three different mock-ups of the SGC. Right, uh, right. That That's... Huge, uh, especially for someone who does not have a lot of resources right now. Uh, also, stick a quick pin in my um, deep, resounding criticism of Goulds and their insistence on creating those little alcoves in every single one of their hallways that always noticed, let the good guys know, hide. It's like, come on, that is every ridiculous. time. Yeah, that's that's not a not a safe thing. Uh, I found out of mind overall though to be kind of boring and slow paced. Uh, yeah, it just kind of it goes along. It happens. The story makes sense. The reveal of Hathor at the end is anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, I also don't like Hathor, and so that doesn't help matters any. So oh that's look, the bad guy is. I, you know, I mean, I don't like Apophis, but I like Apophis. He's a great character. Yes. Right. Um, you know, he's over the top. He's, uh, uh, you know, evil and all of that stuff. But but there's something in that character that that uh, is worth seeing on stage on on screen. Yes. Uh, Hathor just doesn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with just uh, – it's not the actor. Uh, it's it, – it's, uh, Yeah, it's how they set the character just, up. Yeah, it's just poorly written. Um, you know, the – one couple things I did like about that, it, there was, when, uh, when that first uh, – O'Neill sees the, the hallway of the uh, – of the Gua'uld – tunnels and whatnot Mm -hmm. uh you have that cool um uh camera work that that just kind of expands the 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 hallway there um you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um oh yeah then that was a good shot that that shot there was really quite good Mm -hmm. um uh, i like that one um i thought the acting was decent uh if if a little bit tired um, I liked in Out of Mind or not in Into the Fire the very beginning uh, when Makepeace is running. You know that Steadicam work was really good, 
as it you know follows him through the hallway and up the stairs and around. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, but uh, I, I loved Teal's speech. Um, and you really get to see that that the strength of Teal's character and his vision and his goal for what he wants to happen uh, with his people in that speech. Um, you know, so that I thought was really well done. Mm. Um, and it actually makes sense that uh, a good chunk, if not most of the people who are listening, just decide to leave. It is very convenient that uh, this happens to fall right at the time when uh, Hammond is there. Um, right. And Hammond right. manages to sneak in there with, with, with the, you know, the hood. Um, it makes for a dramatic story, uh, I guess, but it doesn't make uh, in-universe sense. Not really. Not really. Um, I, I found the, the way the, the different storylines converge together uh, at the end of uh, Into the Fire was very, very convenient. Um, oh, yeah. You know, totally. Uh, this, this is goes beyond the the heroes uh you know (laughs) everything good happens to the hero when it needs to uh you know it it, it's yeah i i find these episodes you talked you know uh you you said a lot of the stuff that i would uh i find them ultimately forgettable sure um i'm glad they they spend some time to get rid of hathor um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think that the cliffhanger, uh, it's like, okay, so I have this, uh, Gould who's ready for implantation. Who's it going to go into? Actually, that's actually a pretty decent cliffhanger. Um, yeah, I, right. I mean, it was, I think that it was, uh, I think that it was subject to a flaw of television, uh, where they let it drag on way too long. Like if, if the goal was to try to coerce information through threat, through threat of violence, that's one thing. But it just kind of looked like she was just sort of toying with them, which is okay. I mean, not okay, okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, um, if if you really want the information and you have this, it's not like that to- that, that Gua Wuld, like, all of a sudden in that exact moment, uh, now gets it, you know. If you have that ghoul Wuld who's ready for that, and you've caught SG-1, and you have incapacitated them such that you can bring them out of cryo-freeze to try to get information from them through this long, complicated, convoluted storyline, why? If you already have the ghoul Wuld, while they're unconscious, implant one of them, and then get the information. Right, right. (laughs) Right. Which, which renders the entirety of this story uh, irrelevant. And I think that that's kind of the gist. It's that there were a lot of moments where it just kind of felt like they wanted me to jump off the couch and cheer. And I just didn't. Like, yeah. There were, we got close. We got close a few times. But... We didn't get all the way there. Yeah. I mean, the moment when Hammond is on the ramp and he's like, I don't want to order you to do this. I'm asking for volunteers. And then I'll go, uh, you know, that's the moment you're like, hey, that's cool. Go that team. That was cool. Yep. Um, 
and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, and you know, so like you know, again, as far as like you know, um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm being a backseat driver on this one, but uh, uh, you you have this you have this moment midway through uh, into the fire right there where all of these uh, SG teams volunteer instantly in unison, um, you know, to general Hammond's request, which was cool. It was cool. Right. Uh, and then they charge right through that gate and then they're trying to take it by storm, which was cool. Now, and these are all SG teams. They are used to theoretically, they're used to dealing with situations where they are engaging with alien technology. And, it's probably true that they are vaguely used to, or maybe even very used to engaging with ghoul technology in the form of warfare. All right. Like right. we've been dealing with the ghoul for quite a while and it felt a little cheap that they were, eff- they stormed through the complex. They were effective there, but then they kind of ended up, getting upended and the way that they kind of got upended, you know, I mean, it just felt like I felt like that group of people deserved a bit more of, of a heroic impact onto the story than just a bunch of extras. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, the storming of the castle was make beast going, everybody move, 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 watch your flank, watch your flank, right. everybody this way, follow me. Uh, right. And you guys stay behind. And then a bunch of guys in nondescript army uniform, uh, you know, or well, in uh, fatigues and you know, uh, camo and whatnot, just jump, right. jump, 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 jump. You know, it. It's very, very two dimensional. It was two dimensional. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And it just, uh, it was for me unsatisfying. Yeah, I I think bottom line that that's that's my takeaway of these episodes. Um, while, um, you know, the cliffhanger, it, the cliffhanger itself, if you take out the rest of the story, you know, oh my gosh, Gould going to take over one of our heroes. Which one's it going to be? How are they going to get out of this? Um, that's kind of an exciting way to end the story. Yeah, I agree. But the rest of the story leading up to that moment is kind of dull and boring. Yes. And then I the resolution is uninspiringly convenient yes that's a good way to say it i like that there you go i think that's all i gotta say that's all i gotta say all right so then brent i turn to you and i say out of mind and into the fire out of seven chevrons how many chevrons do they get And just to, I'm looking back to what we did with the previous one, and we gave each of them individual episode scores, and then we gave an aggregate score for the okay. the two parter. All right. So out of mind, um, it was a it was a it was a pretty darn good clip show. Um, they were able to mail in a little bit of it, um, but they still were able to weave in some a pretty interesting little story. Uh, and it, uh, when we got to the end of it, I, like I said, I think I would have done myself some favors if I had given myself a little pause between these two episodes. And part of that was, 
you know, and if I had stayed in that little zone of uncertainty for a little longer, I might have had a little bit of those feelings of anticipation of the resolution of the story. You know what I mean? Like, but I didn't yep. allow myself that. I just immediately went on to the next one. So I, honestly, out of all that, I think I'm going to give that one a four out of seven um, where it's it was all right. It wasn't it wasn't, you know, blow my doors off by any stretch. And again, it was a clip show, so I'm never going to really f- enjoy a clip show, probably. But um it had content and it did it in a novel way and it was interesting and I didn't necessarily see all the twists. Uh, you know, I was starting to see them as they were happening. So none of them were a deep surprise, but on the other hand, like, you know, there was, there was some, there was some moments there was like, Oh, Hey, here we are. So that was okay. True. Um, into the fire. You're right. It, it, you know, it wanted to open up season three with a lot of oomph and it didn't. And it wrapped itself up in a nice convenient package and that wasn't fine, but it wasn't that great. And so, um, it's going to be a three for me, a three out of seven, but I had to sit there and think between two and three. Like it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as a two, but it, it just wasn't that inspiring. Right. Sure. Like I, it, it didn't, it didn't do what it set out to do. I think is really what it kind of did. And so for the totality, for the whole thing, um, I'm going to give the whole thing a four out of seven that the package on the whole moved enough of the story and did so in an entertaining enough way. And again, I could tell that I, I was supposed to jump off the couch a few times, but I just, it just never got me there. So it, it could have been a five, a six, or even a seven if it had done things differently, but it didn't. So it was fine. It was fine. So mm-hmm. four, four out of seven. That's what I've got. There you go. Uh, you clearly liked out of mind better than me. Sure. Um, and maybe it's because I've sat with this a little bit longer uh, and I've had this feeling of uninspiration uh, mm-hmm. over and over again. I don't know. Um, uh, like I have mentioned before to you, uh, and I don't know if I've done this on the air or not, uh, but I think that SG-1 does some of the best work with clip shows that any TV show can do. Sure. Uh, the clip shows in SG-1 are better than most clip shows in other shows. Mm-hmm. That said, this one is boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and now I even, I didn't even real, think about it until we started talking about it now, that you know, if you already had that, that Google world from the beginning, why are you even bothering with this? And that makes it even worse. Because uh, now it's not point. only a clip show, but now it's a clip show filled with a plausible story that's implausible and now doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. And you now I, I was thinking about giving this a three, and I think I've actually talked myself to a 2.5. I can, I can respect that. I'm standing by my four, but I bet you that my four has more to do with the novelness. This is my first time seeing it. Sure, so, sure. So there was enough in there that was still like kind of new out of the box. But yeah, as you're yeah. talking it through... I stand by my four, but I hear you. I hear um, you. As for Into the Fire, um, there are elements of this that I like. Um, I like the fact that General Hammond gets off world, and we didn't really talk much about that. Um, True. His yeehaw is just giggle worthy. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I thought it was not so giggle worthy. I thought it was more eye roll worthy, but well, to it, each their own. <laughs> it, it's a little bit of both. I'll, I'll, sometimes I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. And other times I giggle and I can't tell which one's which. Um, <laughs> uh, this time through, I kind of, hey, there you go. Yeah, you go, Hammond. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the plot points just kind of are uninspiring. Everything seems to be very disparate and then come together um, in in a way that, that doesn't get it. I think it's better than Out of Mind. Uh, so I'm going to give it a three. Sure. Uh, so I guess on that one, we would agree. Overall, though, um, I'm going to give... Oh, John. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I look at this whole story, if it falls close to the 2.5 or closer to the 3. And I am going to be generous enough and give the aggregate score a 3. There we go. So Okay. Um, there you go. Yep. So 4 for you for out of mine, 2.5 for me, 3 for both of us for Into the Fire. The set gets a 4 and a 3. There you go. There you go. So, Brent. Yes. The next episode, episode mm-hmm. two of season three mm-hmm. of Stargate SG-1 is entitled Seth. Yeah. What is Seth about? I'll tell you what, they're not really giving me a lot to work with here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, Seth. Um. The SG-1 team steps through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. It's barren, much like the moon-like world that they had went through a while ago that completely confused Brent to make him think that they had done something with an Apollo mission. But it's not the moon. Don't worry. It's not the moon. They <laughs> they step through. They, they, they immediately notice that there seems to be a bit of a... There, there, there's a base. There's a base that they are able to walk towards. And there's a door. And they walk through it. And there's an airlock. And they get to the other side. And they this is clearly advanced alien technology. They walk in. And they are surprised to discover a young man in a flannel shirt and a t-shirt with kind of spiky reddish brown hair and a big attitude. And this young man is mouthy and lippy and around the corner comes a bald-headed, scar-faced, pale-looking man in a in a gray outfit holding a pinky to his finger and speaking in a very strange tone. But the Stargate team doesn't care about that man over there who claims to be Dr. Evil. They are, they are interested in this man here, whose name is in real life Seth Green. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 for a crossover episode between the Austin Powers universe and the Stargate universe. Seth. Yeah? Sure. <laughs> Look, they gave me nothing. They gave me a name, okay? Yep. All right. Uh-huh. So, so uh, why don't we watch the episode and well, see what yes. happens? Now, but here's the deal, though. We haven't talked about... I don't think we've talked about this on the air, about what we got going on here. That's true. Um, do you want me to talk about it, or do you want to talk about it? Go for it. Why don't you talk All about right. it? All right. So... 
we have been mentioning over and again that there are no more promotional we can't find any more promos at least on youtube for stargate episodes uh past the end of season two which we have just finished and when we first started this podcast a year ago we were like yeah we're gonna have to figure something out but you know that was a long time from now, right? Like, <laughs> who needs to figure things out? It's like forever. Well, here we are. Um, but thank you very much to a devoted listener. I can't remember if we got permission to use his name or not. But yes, um, we do. We can say his name. So uh, it's, his name it's, is it's Dave. Dave, right? It's who? What is it? David. David. I don't know if David so, goes by David or Dave. So David, well, Dave, let me know. Are you Dave or David? Dave. Dave, David, um, uh, he has been uh, tirelessly working with us to create, in effect, custom-made promos. No, we're not kidding. This guy's actually putting the work into it. He's taking uh, clips from the actual episode. Uh, he is summarizing the story in a, in a promo kind of a way, and he has been emailing it to us. And so Zach has been paying attention to it. I have not, but on purpose. So I have not seen this little promo that has been painstakingly handcrafted by a, f- a fellow listener of ours, uh, to which I am completely flabbergasted and so thankful it's ridiculous. But uh, we also are going to, Zach and I are going to talk amongst ourselves about whether or not we should be posting this anywhere. I'm leaning towards yes, we are obviously posting content that's owned not by us, so we'll have to talk it through a little bit. But uh, this guy's putting in a lot of work, and uh, I think that this should be celebrated, frankly, yeah. because this is pretty rad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we're about to watch. Uh, we're about to watch a, a handcrafted promo for Seth. So thank you very much, David, for putting your time and energy into this. Uh, and with that, let's hit go. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, I'm hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the Tok'ra come to Earth, looking for a long-lost system lord. Yeah, yeah! There's one goal we must try. You want us to help you find this snakehead who, if he's here at all, would be hiding in one of six billion people? Oh, my. Yes. Oh, my. It appears there's been a cult of Satesh throughout history in one form or another since around 1000 BC. Uh A cult whose leader is named Seth. Okay. <laughs> but will SG-1 fall under the spell of the most 90s cult leader ever? Oh. Next time on Oh, no. Oh, no. Holy cow, that actually was pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. So. There's a ghoul there's a runner. He looked a lot like Hurur. But anyway. Well, so that is Seth, and uh, uh, next time we record, we'll talk about Seth. This is a quick reminder. Uh, We are going to take a break here for uh, a couple of weeks uh, just to kind of give ourselves a chance to recover from all that's happened, at least for me, in June and July. Uh Um, So don't worry, Uh, we'll take two or maybe three weeks off, depends on how things play out for us, Uh, and then uh, we'll jump into it and uh, get Seth on the board and uh, go from there. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, This is good stuff. Yeah, so uh, tell us what you think about Out of Mind and Into the Fire. Uh, Tell us where we got it right, tell us where we got it wrong. Um, we didn't get you it can wrong. do we that by emailing money. us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com you can find us on Twitter at Stargate walking or on Facebook walking through the Stargate uh, let us know 
what you think. Uh, join this party, and you know, while we're taking a break for the next couple of weeks, it's up to you to do that social media content thing that you do. So go and do it, and have fun. Yes, absolutely. Um, anything else, Brent? Nope, that's it. That's okay. all I've got to say. So then, until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you later. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.